Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 848. We know you're going to get a lot out of today's story. We're here with Kalisha, and she's going to be talking about how she built a portfolio that brings in $5,000 per month. She's also going to be talking to us about the things she is changing and tweaking to adapt in this current market. Yes. Yeah. And I'm here. I'm Rob Abasolo, your host of the show, joined here by my good friend, Henry Washington. And uh, this is what we try to do on the Bigger Pockets podcast show. Every single week, we bring you stories, how-tos, and answers that you need in order to make smart real estate decisions now in today's current market. Kalisha, welcome to the show. How you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing fantastic. I'm so happy to be here. 2019 in the making. It's here. <laughs> a little bit of background on you, Kalisha. Your portfolio is currently five units in the Smoky Mountains, San Antonio, Florida, Atlanta, and Virginia market. You're joining us from Tampa. You've done 15 plus deals in the past three years. And uh, you've got, a, you, I think you, you, you gross $18,000 per month from properties, but your net is about four to $5,000 per month. Did I miss anything? No, you're solid, right on point. Awesome. And what about you, Henry? Where are you joining us from? Are you? It looks like you're in Nashville at the moment with your collection of guitars in the background. It does look like I'm in Nashville. I am not. I am here in Northwest Arkansas, but I'm recording this at a, a good friend of mine owns a, a recording studio here. I'm actually having a meetup later here, so thought I'd come and take advantage of this beautiful background and make myself look cooler than I am. Well, awesome. Well, you know, uh, a little surprise for everyone that sticks around until the end. Henry's actually going to pull one of those guitars down and uh, serenade us a little song, a little ditty. So you're gonna. It's it's a it's special tune he wrote for the Bigger Pockets listeners. So uh, to drop right into your story, Kalisha, you moved to the U.S. in 2018 from Jamaica. And when you got to the U.S., you picked up a job bussing tables and hostessing. Can you tell us what your first summer felt like and what was going through your mind at that time? Uh, man, it was it was scary. I was going into a whole new playing field because I've never worked in a restaurant before, coming from corporate Jamaica doing marketing. And to give up that job to go bussing tables, I'm like, what? what am I doing? Like, this is too scary. And it was at the same time, very exciting because I was touching on something completely new that I've never done before. So that little scariness, I think it kind of pushed me to be like, try something new. That's cool. What were you, uh, what were you doing in Jamaica? What was your, your world of, uh, what was your line of work at that time? So I was doing marketing for an insurance company, one of the biggest insurance company back home. Um, and I got the ideal job everyone would say after graduating, but I think after that, the marketing kind of corporate sucked the life out of me and it made me lost the passion that I had for marketing. So I'm like, I needed something new. I needed to take a risk with my life and decided to move to the U.S. Yeah. I, you know, I was I was just about to ask that. I wanted you to dive a little deeper. Like what was driving that decision? Because that's a big leap of faith. Like mm-hmm. we just sure kind of casually covered that you just moved <laughs> to another country and no took, big deal. A, took a job waitressing instead yeah. of marketing like it was nothing. Like what, that's a big transition. What drove that? Man, it was I was at the part of my life where I was trying to figure out what I need to do. And I think I was just being surrounded by people who were just there in the job for years. And all they did was complain. I hate this job. I hate this job. And I'm like, I don't want to be in this position. And I think that year for me, the theme was take a risk. I didn't know what that was, but it was just to take risk. And I was like, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to, I'm going to move to the U.S. I know a lot of other Jamaicans who quit their job where leave, left the country to go to the U.S. to make, to chase the American dream. For us too, it's also to make more money. So I was like, I'm gonna do that. And did you did you come alone, or did, did other did other people in your family? Did someone join you, or was this kind of like a solo journey? So that's the crazy part. I did it alone. <laughs> wow. I I, I did it all alone. Left my mom and my brother back home. She didn't want me to leave either. She was like, Are you sure you want to do this? But at the end of the day, she was very supportive with everything that I was doing. You know, and I heard you say something when we talked about you taking the job in the restaurant industry. You said that that was scary. You were doing a corporate marketing job, but talked about the restaurant industry as a scary job. Like, why, what, what made that scary to you? Because people think that working in a restaurant, it's easy. Um, and for me, back home, our culture, like, for you to give up the perfect job to go serve someone, they consider you to be the help. And I think in the restaurant space, a lot of persons look down on you based on what you're doing. And I'm like, I've never yeah. done something like that before. And um, it was just, it was very insulting. It was a lot of pride for me. I didn't tell friends, a lot of friends, what I was doing. I used to, I was very active on social media and I wasn't even posting those things I was doing on social media. Only when I went for a break, then I would post, oh, I'm traveling. And people would be like, <laughs> how are you traveling? Like, 
But I was so, I was embarrassed too. I was very embarrassed because to leave, as you said, your corporate job to go clean tables, clean toilets, right? To have someone do this, like snap fingers at you and stuff like that is something that I've, I've never experienced. So it was, and it was also a very humbling moment for me as well. Got it. Yeah. You know, the first job I ever had, I was actually a, a busboy and I used to serve chips and salsa. And, uh, you know, when people run out of their chips and salsa, they are quite feisty and uh, they are not the nicest, uh, they are not the, the nicest person to you. So oh, yeah. I totally feel for you there. And, um, I think it's a really brave leap. Uh, it's hard enough to move. You know, I, I've moved a couple times with my wife across the country and that's really scary. So to do it by yourself shows a tremendous amount of, of bravery and courage. And we're going to talk about how your waitressing job was actually a good thing for your future in real estate. But before we do, we're going to have a quick break. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We know and you all know why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability. With Plaid certified tenant income and assets reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. All tenant screening and verification is paid by the tenant and done through the desktop and mobile app. It's time to say goodbye to gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. And as a matter of fact, all Bigger Pockets pros have Rent Ready included in your pro membership. If you're not a pro, Rent Ready is offering you 50% off of their annual plan. New customers visit rentready.com and use code BP2024. That's R E N T R E D I.com using code BP2024. That's VP, like Bigger Pockets, in the year 2024 to save 50% off of one year of Rent Ready. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through Rent to Retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. We need to double check with Zach, Rental Retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. And we're back here with Kalisha, and uh, we just talked about how you had this, uh, you know, this big move from Jamaica back to the United States, or to the United States rather. And you quit your job in corporate to to kind of work in the restaurant industry. You mentioned you still had family back in Jamaica. Can you tell us about your relationship with your your mom and your brother? Uh, so I have a very tight relationship, a really good relationship with my mom and my brother. Um, I grew up as an only child, so it was always just me and my mom. And then my brother came in the picture 15 years ago. So everything, all I've known is just Kalisha and Nadine. Mm -hmm. And even when I moved to college, back when I went to college, it was like hours away. And we still had a great relationship there as well. But I think one of the scary thing when I moved was my mom also depended on me. What that mean is she looked towards me in terms of making better for her, making better for me, because she didn't know better. So when she saw me pushing myself, I think that's why she was so supportive because she's like, okay, I don't know how to guide you, but it seems like you have that drive and you know what you want. I'm just going to support you in what you're doing. And I think when even my brother was born, which is crazy, I hated it. When she, I found out she was pregnant, I was like, no, I want to be the only child. <laughs> Typical big sister. <laughs> I was like, I want to be the only child. But then oh, when he came in the picture, it's like, 
I saw the same trend that was happening to me growing up. So as I said, it was just me and my mom and my father. He wasn't that involved financially. And I saw the same thing with my brother as well. So I was like, yeah, I need to break that trend. I need to be, I'm here. I left them. I need to make sure I work and I make some money so I can take care of them. Whatever is it that they need. What Even if I'm here in the US and I'm suffering, I don't have food or anything like that. As long as I know her rent is covered, food, and she's good and they're good, I'm solid. First of all, I want to comment on like the the sibling rivalry. I have two daughters. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And I remember when we brought home our youngest daughter, my my oldest at the time was two. And we were like, here is your new sister. And we like handed her the baby. And she like put one hand on her, looked at her and goes, mm, all done, baby. <laughs> all, done, all done, baby. So, so, so this this sounds like you had a similar experience. Okay. Um, here's here's what I love about what you said. It's that you took this giant leap of faith and you knew you wanted to do something better for yourself, but felt this obligation to take care of home and the people at home. And this is something you were doing before real estate, right? Like a lot of people are probably thinking I came and I did a bunch of real estate and then I could send money home. Like, no, you were doing this when you were waiting tables and being a server and taking care of those around you. And I just want to make sure that you get your flowers for uh, having that heart and that mindset. Thank you. Yeah. So Kalisha, was it ever an option for your mom and your brother to come to America with you? So the crazy thing is first, my brother is a citizen and the condition that they knew I was living in, they knew I was trying to figure it out. It wasn't an option for them to come yet. But this is one thing I always tell them. I always said, when the time is right, you guys will come. Because I don't want you guys to come here and suffer the way how I was. I don't want you guys, my mom, to be doing certain jobs that I didn't want to do, right? So I said, when I know that I make enough money, when I can get you your house and you have your place to rent, because I can't live with my mom and she knows that. I was like, <laughs> we're not living together at all. Um, so when I told her that, she was like, you know what? I understand. Um, she always tell me, and I'm going to quote this in power. She was like, do what you have to do, Miguel. Yeah. What that mean is do what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is that you need to do, just do what you got to do. I'll be here when you're ready. How important was it for you to know you had that support back home, backing you up no matter what, win or lose? Man, it means so much, even getting ready for this interview. Like my mom called me and she just started praying and she started crying. And she's like, she started going back down memory lane. She's like, I remember when it was just us and we were doing this. We're, and she'll be like, we've been coming from, from so far. And I was like, mom, just calm down. <laughs> I just relax. <laughs> but I think it truly means a lot. And I've heard so many different stories where persons don't have like a strong support system. Yeah. And I think that's something I'm extremely grateful for. Like your support doesn't have to be a large group of people. But if you have that one or two person that means a lot to you, if you know that you have their support when you feel like giving up and you can just call and be like, hey, it's it's tough. You know, like my mom used to call me and she used to see like bags under my eyes and she starts crying. She's like, come back home. Like, I don't like how you look. Come back home. You're you're not eating. You're not sleeping. I lost so much weight. And I was like, no, I'm not coming back home. Yeah. So so tell me more. You, you're busting tables. And at first you think that, you know. You're, you're going to be in the U.S. temporarily or you're going to be working this job and sort of work through it um, and kind of move up the ladder. Mm-hmm. Then what happens? How does that job go? So it's crazy. I So I went to that job on Martha's Vineyard for one summer. And I, apparently it seemed like I did a good job. The owner was like, can you just stay for the rest of the season? I'm like, sure. I went back the following season to do food running. So I got promoted from hostessing and bussing tables to food running, which is taking the food from the kitchen to the table. What crazy enough is that the year after I ended up doing food running and got promoted to being a manager. So I was doing two Whoa. roles at once. Yes. That's cool. <laughs> and I think when I got, when after he's like, I can't have you doing both roles, let's just switch you over to managing the restaurant full time. And for me, like, again, this is completely new for me. I'm managing staff, everything like that. But I think in being in that position, um, it opened my eyes to so many different things. I learned a lot about myself, how to be patient, how to um, come up with solutions, especially being under pressure. And 
it also helps me to connect with so many different persons because now persons, I, I'm having conversation with customers who are coming in and they'll be like, oh, what do you do? You're such an intelligent young lady, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, this is my background and I'm looking to get into real estate. That was the kicker because when I mentioned that, everyone found it's an opportunity for them to tell me that, oh, I do this here. I do that there. So I'm like, oh, really? Tell me more. So it was also a learning opportunity for me, even though I had no clue about real estate, but other persons were telling me about their experience and giving advice of things, what I could do. Man, this is fantastic because one thing you said that I love was that um, when you, your mom mentioned, Hey, do you need to come back home? When she saw you were, you know, you were losing weight and took that as a sign that maybe you weren't able to feed yourself. You had a, this was a plan a, there's no plan B, this is going to yep. work or it's, it's going to work. Right. Yeah. And I think that that is the exact mentality that new investors need to have when they're getting into this space. Because I think a lot of people try to get into real estate and they try, right? They give it a go. And trying doesn't mean success, right? You really have to have a mindset of, I'm going to find success no matter what it takes. Because this business is hard. The past maybe three years or four years, it's been a whole lot easier than it has been now. But I think people are really starting to see that, oh, crap, like you can screw up in this business and you, it will hurt if you're not paying attention. And if, and you're, you're seeing a lot of people kind of quit now because it's a lot harder than it was a few years ago. And so, uh, having that mindset, I think obviously was beneficial to you starting your business. And I think that more people need to take that from your story and have that mindset. And the second thing is you tell everybody what you do, and you introduce yourself with that title, whether you've had success in it or not. Because if you introduce yourself as an investor, even if you've never done a deal, it's going to open the door to people wanting to help you and give you the things that that, that, that person or that type of person gets. If you want to be an investor and you say, Hey, yes, I'm a server, but I am, I am a real estate Huge. investor. I'm looking to do my first deal yeah. and they know you're waiting tables. Oh my real God, estate yes. investors want to help. They're like, Oh, we, yeah. We got to help. Yeah, let's let's help you get up out of here. Right. And it's just it opens that door. It's very like uh, we had Amy Majuri on the show. Oh, man, I want to say like about a year ago. And uh, her thing is like she raises money from people. And the, the way she introduces herself to like her Trader Joe's cashier or her Uber driver or whatever, she'll say, hi, I'm, I'm Amy. And I help people get double digit returns back by real estate. And it's like her I think she calls it like her 10 second power pitch Perfect. or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's 13 words and it just gets someone to say, oh, what does that mean? And then you kind of start the conversation. So I think it's a good lesson for everyone at home. If you're breaking into the business, make it very clear to everyone that you ever talk to or ever meet that you want to get into real estate. Because oftentimes when someone's a real estate investor, they want help from a newbie to kind of yeah. like do free work. And yeah. I think that's a really great way to to break into the business. So with that, uh, I have a quick question about this whole situation. You're, you're, you said that you're kind of moving up the the corporate ladder, if you will, in the in the restaurant business. Do you happen to remember what you were making back then? Like, what what was the income like then, especially compared to what you were uh, earning back in in Jamaica? A lot of money, <laughs> a lot. Like, really? When, oh yes. When when I got into hostess in the first job, and when I saw the money, so. When I just started, I think I was making about like 700 bucks a week, right? And mm-hmm. that doesn't include tips. That would work out to be like what my monthly pay would have been back home. Wow. So you were making per week what you would make in a month in Jamaica. Yeah. When I wow. told my mom, I was like, oh my gosh. And then when I started making crazy tips, I was like, huh. But I think the thing was, for me, I was like, I want to keep making more money, more money. And I was like, I need to have enough money. But it's like I was being trapped in the cycle of I just want more money. And it just it was it's so hard to come out of that cycle because you see all the money that you can make and you're like, I'm just going to give it one more season. And I think yeah. the money can be bad, but it can also be good. But I think it got to a point where during the off season, I think because we're a very seasonal restaurant. And I was like, I need to do more with my life. Like I, I need to do something else because I'm the person who I always have things figured out. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I didn't have a clue at that time what I wanted to do at all. And honestly, p- persons asked me how I made the decision. And I said, Hey, I had, I asked myself two questions. I love watching HGTV. 
And I love watching Food Network. Yeah, me too. I love eating the food. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I was like, I love eating the food and I would try the food, but I'm not going to cook it. <laughs> and I was like, well, let's try this thing called HGT. Let's try this real estate thing. And I honestly, guys, all I did was like everyone else, I went on Google, how to start investing in the US and bigger pockets came up. And that's how I started. Literally just putting it all in Google. And from there, that's amazing. And so did you jump into the forums? Were you listening to the podcast? Like what were the big moments for you whenever you stumbled upon like the bigger pockets community as a whole? I would say, well, the for the forums was it. Um, but for me, it was, it was so overwhelming because I didn't know which direction to take, where to start. I didn't have anyone that I could ask for guidance or anything like that. But I got into the forums and the forums, I saw a lot of person like in being engaged, asking questions. And then I pivot into the podcast. And so I was doing both the podcast, the forums, and I was also doing, I think, I don't know if you guys still do, but like the free guides, like beginner's guide to real estate investing. So I went through all those, like, I was like, give me all the free books. And I went through those. And I think one of the hiccup that I was getting into was I thought I could get a loan. I was like, all right, I'm ready to go. And I'm talking to lenders and they're like, what's your credit score? I'm like 700 and this. They're like, okay, how much money do you make? And I'm like, this amount. They're like, oh, you're the perfect candidate. Guys, there's something on the loan application. I always ask you, are you a US citizen? Right. Yeah. And I'm like, no. And I was like, hmm, but I look good on paper. They're like, yeah, you're not a green card holder either. I was like, well, if I give you a case number, would that help? They're like, nope. We need a government issue ID. So when you say case number, you mean you would apply for the green card, but it wasn't approved yet? Correct. Okay. So still going through that process. And I think during that time, you know, like when you think that, okay, you got over analysis paralysis, and then you think you have everything figured out, but then you hit this other roadblock. And I'm like, all right, but then the crazy thing is a lot of lenders weren't giving me solutions. So then I went back to the forums because again the bigger pockets forum was a play that was my network of people that i could always go and ask questions for so i went back to the forum and i was and i searched how to get a, a loan as an immigrant so i made sure to put that in mm-hmm. and then someone directed me which is crazy directed me to an episode with diego corso my guy. Oh, my guy. So nice. Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, my God. Mm. He's the best. Let me tell you that episode. When I listened to that episode, I was like, yes, <laughs> I knew there is a way. I knew I'm not the only person want to get into real estate as an immigrant. And everything that he shared, how he got his first investment property, I was like, this is insane. This is amazing. And the fact that he didn't have a lot of the things that I still had, he had really bad credit score or no credit score at all. He just had money and his passport. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if he did it, then I can do it. And I remember just DMing after that episode, spoke to him, talked to an attorney, and that's how I got my first property too. So shout out to Diego. <laughs> That's what, yeah, Diego. I think he's real Diego Corzo on uh, Instagram, but he does like the tip of the day. And he found me at BPCon uh, like two weeks ago and was like, can you do a tip of the day? And it's a very nice guy. Highly recommend like checking out his content. Very, very nice. And uh, a bucket full of sunshine, if you will. Yes. So to clarify, Kalisha, what was the takeaway from that episode that made a difference for you? So the one with Diego, what he mentioned that he just partnered with his uncle and they just got an LLC. And he funded a deal and his uncle was a citizen. And then he ended up just getting um, a loan using the LLC. When I heard that, what he explained, I realized that I need to get a partner in order to figure out this financing option. Um, okay. So you, you, you get, you come across this episode and you feel inspired. You start working with an attorney. Tell us, tell us about your first deal. Like what, what ended up happening? So first deal, firstly, I did out of state investing. So my first deal was in Memphis and it took a little while for me to figure out Memphis. Cause again, I don't know much about the states. So I don't know which states to start from. So bigger pockets, uh, the person on the forum recommended like three states, Kansas city, Cleveland, Ohio, Memphis. So I did a full blown research, my partner and I at that time. And we decided to go with Memphis. Took us a year because we're like, we need to learn the area. Um, learn the zip codes, all that stuff. Got our first Burr um, deal in Memphis, Tennessee. Should have been a Burr. Um, we got this deal from a wholesaler because again, we were taught that we, I learned that the best deals come from wholesalers. So 
went on Facebook groups, got like connected with a bunch of wholesalers and stuff like that, found a wholesaler. And he's like, I told him, Hey, we're in town. Um, do you have any properties that you can take a look at? So again, we took the risk and went to this city just to see if we can get a property. Got the first deal. Um, it was in an ideal neighborhood of Memphis that we wanted. And he was selling it for about $30,000. And we had our contractor slash project manager, which we also found on Bigger Pockets. Guys, I'm going to mention them a lot because. <laughs> hey, that's okay. You, you can, you can plug us. It's our podcast. They're like all my resources. And he walked the property with us and he's like, Oh my God, guys, like this is going to need a lot of work. We're like, yeah, we know we're excited about it. We want to do it. He was like, are you guys crazy? You live out of state. This is a full gut. Roof was missing, only had framing. Um, you could see the plumbing in the floor, everything. We're like, no, this is where the money is at. This is what we were, we learned about. So we made an offer for that deal for 19,000. The wholesaler said, nope, you need best and final offer. We got it for 25,500. So we beat out another investor and then we use hard money to get the rehab and the purchase. The great thing was, guys, was that we had money saved up because we thought we would need money for the deal. But we found a fantastic hard money lender who gave us 100% finance for the purchase and 100% of the rehab. So we're like, yes, this is going to be the perfect burr that David always talked about being zero out of pocket. This is going to be amazing. So let let me walk walk me through this really fast. So you, Mm -hmm. you found a wholesaler in Memphis and they had a property that was 30,000 bucks and you made an offer. This wholesaler was like, dude, how are you going to do this? There's barely walls in this place. And uh, you guys came in and you offered a lower amount. You settled on 25,500 bucks. And then you actually found a, like a hard money lender who would finance pretty much the entire thing. Um, And was it a pretty easy peasy renovation? Oh, no. (laughs) <laughs> oh no! Okay. Yeah, oh, no, so. oh no! <laughs> no! 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 Right. No! The beginning of this was just too positive. I was it was like, too, no, way. no. It, it trust yeah, me, yeah. it wasn't. Um, firstly, we found out that the plumbing and the electrical was done incorrectly. Mm, when when our contractor told us, we're like, "Come on!" We're like, "How much is this gonna cost right now?" So he we did a couple bids, and it came out to seven thousand. And I was like, "Please don't! I don't want anything else to go wrong." After that, thank God, everything went smoothly. Okay. When we're almost getting ready to do the refinance, this is where the another issue came in. You're not a U.S. citizen. I can't refinance. I'm like, guys, come on. You run our credit, my partner at the time, you run both of our credits two times and said, you guys are good to go. And she'll let you know when it's time to do refinance and then nothing. Now it's, it's an issue. So here's a tricky thing. And I would highly recommend with anyone getting in when talking to lenders, Talk to as many lenders as possible. Yes. Because yeah. it's, you always need to have a backup plan because one lender said that you guys are good. It's a solid deal. Let's do a refinance. We're good. Only find out that my partner who had, he was, a, uh, had his green card. Oh, you need, he needs two years of self employment tax return. He only had one. Then I still look good on paper. So remember what I mentioned that Diego um, directed us on what to do. What After speaking with our attorney, we got an LLC. So we got an entity to show that we're both partners. And then that way we would get a loan in the entity itself. So in doing that, it was still an issue because I could not own more than 25% of the entity. Mm-hmm. So you see like all the roadblocks that keep... Right. And I'm sure you're finding this out seconds before closing. I feel like that's how it always is. Is like All of it. The the lender (laughs) says, no, you're good. And then you're at the closing table. They're like, well, actually, we need this receipt from your Chipotle order in 2013. All the time. (laughs) And keep in mind, this time too, we already figured out we can't even use the first lender to do refinance. We're now on month seven. So we had to pay for a hard money loan extension, mm-hmm. the renewal fee, plus cheap. the extension. Oh, so expensive. <laughs> yeah. But I'm so glad that hard money allowed us to wrap the loan, the interest payment into the loan. So mm-hmm. at this time all as well, we were not out of pocket for the interest payments at all. And he was like, if you guys hit to month eight, you're going to have to start paying the interest payments. So I think we still were having hiccups and we had to make a decision in terms of, do we really want to keep this house or do we sell? Because these are not three lenders who said that they can refinance, but they can't. So we really had to just make the decision. 
and just end up selling that, listing that property for sale. We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability. With Plaid certified tenant income and assets reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. All tenant screening and verification is paid by the tenant and done through the desktop and mobile app. It's time to say goodbye to gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. And as a matter of fact, all Bigger Pockets pros have Rent Ready included in your pro membership. If you're not a pro, Rent Ready is offering you 50% off of their annual plan. New customers visit rentready.com and use code BP2024. That's R E N T R E D I.com using code BP2024. That's VP, like Bigger Pockets, in the year 2024 to save 50% off of one year of Rent Ready. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light dock and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with credit-worthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. So you got a crash course in real estate investing on your first deal. I call that project that you did um, a fix and flip. That's pretty much how they go. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah. very, there's very few where it's like, hey, we yes. got it and then we painted it and then we sold it for all kinds of money. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you, uh, but but that's the whole point, right? Is you, mm-hmm. you 
you you learn lessons along the way. You you made pivots. You made the right pivots. You didn't let anything just stop you. You always looked at things through a lens of like, how can I resolve this or how can I get this fixed? And that mindset will always serve you well. One thing I want to ask you that I think people are going to want to hear about is you mentioned that you had looked at three markets. So you went and you got recommendations on three markets mm-hmm. and then you did, I think it said, you said like a year's worth of research yeah. before you dove in. I think that that's hugely important that we highlight that. Like you didn't just go and say, Hey, bigger pockets, people tell me where to invest. And then they say some cities and then you go buy properties there. Like, I think people do that. And so what would you say, or what advice would you give to people or what should people be looking at when they are evaluating markets out of state to invest in? What did you guys look for? I, what we did was we just found other investors in the area and asked them to share their experience in terms of, Hey, why are you investing in using this strategy in that market? And we would take notes. And if we learn that it's a, a zip code basis or a street by street basis, then we ask those investors, which zip code should we look into and why? Mm-hmm. So when we did that portion of it, so the zip code was a very heavy for us. Then we looked on why is this a market where persons are renting a lot or are they buying? It came down to Memphis was where you can get the 1% rule, like one of the best market where you can get 1% rule. What that means is if you purchase a house for a hundred thousand, you can get rents for a thousand or more or even 900 bucks. So it came down to the 1% rule. It came down to the zip codes. And it also came down to, I think with Memphis, the big companies, what big companies are there in that market for us in Memphis? It was Amazon. It was Nike. And it was, it was known as like the distribution hub. So a lot of like big companies stop in the middle of Memphis. So we're like, bingo. And we decided to choose a zip codes that were super close to Amazon and Nike because those people are going to always need somewhere to live. So we didn't go far away. So, and all of this guys, we figured it out after just talking to other investors. Each investor told us something completely new and we just start adding it to like, we have, I had a full, notebook. You know, those section notebooks where you can section it off. Each city had a section and everything that we learned, sticky note, just making notes. And while we're going along, building our team as well for each person that we spoke to. So you made like an out-of-state investing scrapbook. Yes. Yeah, like a diary of sorts. <laughs> well, that's really smart, Kalisha. I mean, I think, yes, finding some of these big business hubs and putting you know properties around there, never going to be a bad idea. Can you tell us what the actual price of the, the, the total price of the renovation and then the total sale price so we kind of understand the numbers on this one? Because I know you said you bought it for 25500 bucks. So bought it for 25500 The rehab amount was 52,000 which and then it increased to 59,000. When we bought this property, we estimated the ARV for to be 100,000. When it was time to resell, we listed it for 117 and then we sold it for 125. Hey, there we go. Yeah. Wow. Like, <laughs> Nothing like coming $25,000 over your initial ARV. Listen, <laughs> I remember that when we got the um when we got the direct deposit my partner was like, oh my God, we got paid. <laughs> and for us, when just to see that amount, we're like, again, from our background, that's a lot of money from one deal. And we got this drive to be like, oh, we need another one. We need to get one more deal <laughs> because we saw the money and it looked so good. But it, I think one of the biggest lessons for me then was to kind of pause and enjoy the moment and soak it all in instead of wanting to get to the next step. Cause we tend to forget that a lot. So Go, when I look back on my, when we just started now, every deal that I close, I take time to soak up that moment and celebrate it. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you pull a $40,000 profit on the first property, rough, rough numbers Roughly. there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you did one more fix and flip and then you shifted to short-term rentals. If I, if I understand that correctly, yeah. what were your biggest lessons from fix and flips in general? Oh, it's not for me. It gives me anxiety. <laughs> That's a great lesson. That's the best lesson you could learn. That's a lesson I'm learning right now it's, every single time I get into a flip. Listen, it's too much anxiety. I like anything that is fine, whole, minor rehab. Plus, we're doing all of this remotely too. So I'm like, no way. I'm not doing that again. And just the fact that you listed, you're like, how soon am I going to sell it? Are we going to get any offers? I was like, no, that, that just gave me too much anxiety. But it was also to that everything that you do, you need to have two exit strategies. And it, that didn't hit me until this year. It's so like everything that you're doing, make sure 
you have two exit. And when I look back, I feel like every single deal, I always had to pivot every single deal. Like I can't think of any one deal where I started with one strategy and ended with the same strategy. I was like, okay, this is a trend. This is completely a trend. Stick to your criteria. (laughs) I think the important thing is that you tried it, right? You tried it, you did it, you found a solution, you pivoted. I think the most important skill you can learn as a real estate investor is how to pivot Mm -hmm. instead of sitting there and floundering. And uh, if you can pivot quickly, you can be successful in whatever type of real estate you learn to do so long as you have multiple exit strategies, which I think is a very important lesson for people. So, um, so, okay. So you found out fix and flips, not really your thing. You shifted into short term rentals and I believe you have three. How are you funding these now and how do you keep an edge in this particular market? Ooh, creative financing and private money all day, every day. And what do you mean by creative financing? So creative financing, meaning you're taking over the property subject to or seller financing. So I'm going to go back a little bit before knowing that I was one, using private money or two, structuring these creatively. When I got the, when we got the first property in the Smoky Mountains, we got a DSCR loan. And with the DSCR loan, you need about 20 to 25% down. Right. That time for us, it was about 130000 altogether that we needed. And really, really fast, for, for everyone at home that doesn't know what a DSCR loan is, it's a debt service coverage ratio loan. And it's basically where they use the income of your property to underwrite instead of using your personal DTI and, and credit and everything like that. I mean, there's a few other parameters, but essentially they're using your the income, the projected income of that property to qualify you for that loan. Uh, sorry, I wanted to clarify that because I know a lot of people, <laughs> they just hear acronyms sometimes. So carry on. So we use the DSR loan and then we had money from our fix and flip, but we were still short. So because we were telling friends and family what we're doing and what we're hoping to do, we went to them and we're like, hey, we want to get this property, but we're short about 50 to 60,000. Just putting it out there. And then two persons from our network um, decided to give us money. So even though they're friends and family, we didn't know it was private money. So what we did was we're like, hey, can you just lend us this money? And we will just give you a percentage of the cash flow. We were just throwing things out there. We didn't do like a promissory note, mortgage deed or anything like that. We're like, we'll give you a percentage of the cash flow for anything that we make. And whenever during the slow season, you can go to the cabin and stay there. That was the agreement. That's it. So that was the first creative deal that we got. And then after now, I just buy most of the properties, creative financing, and then whatever I need, closing costs or decorate fur- furnishing costs, I raise, pri- raise that amount in private money and get the deal funded. So most times I'm zero out of pocket. You know, I'd be willing to bet, too, that a lot of what made this research of learning how to do creative finance and subject to financing more maybe achievable for you is because of your background and you knowing like I need an alternative strategy. And so kind of when your back's against the wall, you, there's no other option, right? You're going to go figure out how can I get this done? And I think I'm not saying that to discourage people from going to learn how to do these things. I'm saying that from the perspective of put yourself in that mindset. What if you could never go to a bank again? Would that mean you're never going to be a real estate investor? Like if you think from that perspective, okay, I'm going to pretend I can't go to a bank for my next deal. So I got to go and learn how would I buy a property if I couldn't? And that just kind of helps you sharpen the tools in your tool belt. Um, So I think that that's super cool. You also are pivoting or have pivoted to more of a midterm rental strategy. Is that correct? And so uh, how is this midterm rental strategy going for you and how are you either growing or expanding that? Like what's, what have you learned that's, that's making you push to that direction? Uh, so full disclosure, I haven't done my first midterm rental yet. I'm literally like still going through that process. Cool, cool. The reason being trying to pivot is that I think I got spoiled with the Smoky Mountains. Um, <laughs> I got As so spoiled because for yeah. one year, like it's for the entire year, it's a great market. I'm always booked. And then when I got another property in San Antonio, I was like, hmm, I'm not used still with just this weekend type of thing. And my calendar yeah. is open for the, during the week. So I all, I always heard about midterm rental. So what I did was I had a really good friend of mine, um, in one of my mentorship and I asked her about, She's the expert again. This is why I go to persons who are doing it. I don't want to figure it out, everything. So it's like, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. What what are some things that I can do? And she'd be like, okay, go on ALE, list the property there. Go on Furnish Finder, list the property there. Did all of that. 
not working. I'm like, okay. Some spoke to someone else. They're like, hey, put extended stay in your listing, in the title. I was like, okay, going to try that. So in doing all of this, I went back and looked on the algorithm. I'm like, ooh, I put extended stay in my title. My views are going up. Okay, still no bookings. But I would go in these Facebook groups and just put, hey guys, I have this property in San Antonio. If anyone um, needs a short-term, a midterm rental or have connections, just let me know. I did that and someone was interested in the booking. Here was the worst thing. My calendar was open for one month, guys, like one whole month. And then I got a two-day booking. Right after that, someone is interested for a whole month. And I'm like, really? Uh, yeah, it does it work exactly like that. <laughs> when, you, when you're doing the short-term rental, mid-term rental hybrid, it, it is one of those things where it's best to focus on the mid-term rental strategy first and yeah. then fill your spaces with short-term rental. But it yeah. just... That's the ideal scenario. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way. And the, the thing that hurts with midterm rentals the most is it's an amazing business niche within this uh, within this market. But the vacancy does hurt. You know, oh, yeah. uh, the vacancy is a lot bigger than it typically is with a short term rental. I'm like, Mm-mm. and and I think that was the wor- that was the tough part. And I, I was so close to canceling that Airbnb that Airbnb guest. But I was like, nope, I've worked too hard for a super host. I'm not even going to cancel unless the guest is sure that they're going to book for 30 days. So we did more research to verify a few things like, how soon are you looking to move? Does this budget work for you? Do you have X? Do you have a pet? All these things. We verified all of this. We had back and forth conversation, but guess what? The guest stopped responding. So they were never interested again. So I was so happy I didn't go and cancel that one booking that I had. Yeah, I think that's the uh, the philosophy I really ingrain in everybody is to never cancel a booking like ever, no matter mm-hmm. what, unless you just abs- I've had to cancel bookings because I had a glamping tent that got blown away by a monsoon. But other than that, there's no reason to do it because people really do create their vacations around your Airbnb. And if you cancel on them, it, you know, it could be a, a bummer on their on their vacation. Right. So what we try to do is we uh, we have multiple units nearby. And so if we get a midterm rental booking, we will just reach out and say, hey, we're going to move you to this unit. It's a little different. And then if they get mad about it, we'll give them a little discount. So you're saying the only time you've ever canceled on anybody is because <laughs> their actual property blew away where they were going to sleep was no longer there. That is correct. And Airbnb has a really like, like a very strict policy. They're like, you can never cancel. And then I was like, yeah, my tent is literally not there. And then they're like, can you send photos? And I was like, you want me to send you a photo of air? Like, it's not there. It's gone. Listen to me. (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Well, listen, Kalisha, I think it's awesome that you're trying that you're the pivot queen. Okay. And I know that you're figuring things out and. This is actually one of my favorite episodes in that there are a lot of things that you that you're still figuring out. You know, a yeah. lot of people come on to this and it's like hard to really understand, but I think most people are in your your position right now where I mean, I'm still figuring stuff out too. Like I try different things all all the time. I'm throwing darts at the wall and I'm trying new business models and I say, "Hey, you know, maybe this isn't my thing, but at least I tried it." And at least it reinforces that I should really stick to the things that I'm that I'm really good at and the things that I'm passionate about. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of lessons to be taken out of today's episode. But in general, what actions do you think you consistently take that have made the biggest difference in your investing? One of them is understanding how to underwrite deals. So when I just got, when I got into real estate, I always heard Brandon talk about analyze a deal every day. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing mm-hmm. that. I'm not getting it. Cause I don't know what the rehab is. I don't know what closing costs are. I don't know all those stuff. And it was very discouraging. And I think until one day I was just doing, analyzing a deal every day. And that's when the light bulb went off. And I was like, Oh my God, I get it. He said, analyze a deal every day. So that way you understand what numbers affect what. What I mean is you will know, okay, if I want to increase my cash flow, do I need to increase my income or do I need to reduce my expenses? If I want to increase my cash and cash return, do I need to reduce my total cash invested or do I need to also reduce my expenses? So being able, the point of analyzing the deal every day is to understand what numbers affect what. So then you can master napkin underwriting. Um, another thing that I do 
it's for my short-term rentals. I would pretend as if I'm a guest because I always had guests tell me, oh my God, I love your place. And this is what I experienced. So I'm like, I want to experience it myself. So I would book one of my, any of my properties. I don't tell cleaners. I don't tell anyone. And I pretend as if I'm the guest. And when I get to the house, I follow the check-in instructions. Everything that a check-in instruction tell me to do, I'll do that. The first thing you do when you go to a hotel or Airbnb, you guys walk around because you want to see what this house has to offer. I do the same thing. I walk in. I want to know what it smells like. I want to know what feeling I get. And then I'm, I'm seeing all these switches, for example. And I'm like, oh, I wonder where this switch goes. And I'm just testing it all out. And in doing those things, I know that, okay, I need to label my switches. I get to the living room. I see two remotes. I don't know which remote belongs to the TV. I was like, ooh, I need to label the remotes to say living room remote. Those simple things, when you put yourself in the guest's shoe, it sets you apart and you know what you need to fix without even depending on your team as much because you're going to see things that your team won't. Smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it's always a very gratifying and disappointing experience <laughs> because you, you you realize all the little things that sort of get moved around and everything over the course of a few months or six months. And I think that's a really important lesson to go and walk your properties. I know it's a novel concept and it's hard to do, especially at scale, yeah. but it is something that can be a little eye opening and can really be pivotal to the optimization of your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, have, have, you know, tell us where you're at today. Are you feeling gratified about the steps and the risks that you've taken? Like, how are things with your mom? Have you been sending, sending your money and, and kind of like showing your success or how's that all been going? So, it has been going really well. Um, I'm very grateful for it. But one of the biggest thing that I'm learning is that I'm planning the seats. What this means is everyone thinks that when you get into real estate, you're going to be making a ton of money. Um, when you get in, no, you are not. <laughs> um, you guys will hear Rob mention at the beginning that I'm making $5,000 net. Yes, but that's not going in my pocket. It's either going into reserves or it's using the payoff yeah. debt that I used to get in to all these <laughs> mentorships and, yeah, and courses and all those things. Like you are, you are gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be broke. Honestly, like you're, you're gonna be broke. You're gonna feel like giving up. I mean, I think I'm going through one of the toughest time now in my career. And what's pushing me through is that I keep looking back to be like, you've come this far. You can't give up now. Like it's just a phase. Just go through it. And each time you just, I'm just figuring it out. And I think as well, it's just how can I get ready for the next season of my life? I don't have, I'm not the type of person to have a two-year goal or a three-year goal. I have 90-day goals. When that 90 days come, I create a whole new goal. So for right now, for me, I just want to finish the year strong where my properties are cash flowing and I'm able to pay off all my lenders. Okay, awesome. So we understand that you recently had a full circle moment with that same podcast guest who kind of showed you that this could be possible for you. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, so when I met, when I listened to Diego's episode in 2019, we were going back and forth. And in 2023, who would have thought in 2020, August of 2023, I got a message from Diego. When I saw his DM popped up, I screamed. I was like, you guys scream over like celebrities. I'm like, bigger pockets people are like my celebrities. I get starstruck. And when Diego messaged me and invited me to speak to his mastermind about capital raising, I was like, no way. I sent him a voice memo and started screaming. I'm like, dude, you're the person who kind of get me to my first investment property because you shared your story. 2019, I never thought that would have happened. Like a girl from Jamaica um, cleaning tables and you hear about real estate and wealth. You're like, oh, you need a family. It's going to take 10 years, 20 years. And just to see even after quitting my job last year and seeing how much I've accomplished in a year, it's like, it's mind blowing. It just goes to show that anything can happen. It's like with you guys as well. When we met at BP Con, like I saw you guys, I was like, oh, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's how I get when I meet Henry too. So. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. And it's, it's just showing that so much things can change when 
You start putting yourself in the right rooms. You start putting yourself out there and telling people what you're doing and sharing your story and your journey. It's like the universe starts sending things your way that you never thought would happen. I think that's what that's real estate is all about taking small steps, right? It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And yeah. I think you're right. I think it's really, really crazy to see what you can accomplish uh, in a year. I think there's like a phrase that's like, you know, we overestimate, hold on, hold on, hold on. maybe you know it, Henry. You, we overestimate what we can do in a day, but we underestimate what we can do in a year. Yeah. Does that sound about right? Yeah. yeah. And I, th- I think that's true. And we get so like caught up in this like daily grind of working and we're in meetings all day and it, there's never real progress day to day. And, uh, you know, you look back and you're like, whoa, like what I've done in the last year, two years, three years is a really life changing thing. And it's the thing that I wanted more than anything else in this world when I started. And I think you're like the perfect encapsulation of that idea. So thank you so much for, for bringing your story. And, um, I think a lot of people are going to be inspired by it. I, I know I am. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about where people can learn about you online and connect with you if you, if they want to reach out? So, yes. And I also wanted to say, I always had this vision in my head when I started listening to the podcast. I'm like, one day I'm going to be on this podcast. I had like even a, a, an image in my head of what I'll be wearing. I'll be wearing a black shirt, but I'm not wearing a black shirt today. But <laughs> I'm grateful for um, just being here and sharing my story. And you guys can find me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, at, at Kalisha Carter. So everything, all social media platform, my website, my YouTube channel, it is all my full name, Kalisha Carter. And how do you spell Kalisha just for everyone at home? Uh, K-E-L-E-I-S-H-A and last name C-A-R-T-E-R. So first of all, uh, I want to congratulate you. I want to congratulate you on Thank you. quitting your job and finding your success in real estate. You're netting 5K a month with your current portfolio. That's amazing. And it takes a lot of hard work. Um, I want to I want to say that I am proud of you for the leaps of faith and risks you were uh, willing to take to better you and your family's lives. And I think that that's commendable. And I also want to say, I think there's a lot of power in, in, in having those visions. It's, it's funny. I, I also had a vision of being on the bigger pockets podcast. I, I I've told the story before, but I, I have, I still to this day have a vision board on my phone. And one of the tiles is a bigger pockets podcast tile. Cause I wanted to be a guest on the bigger pockets podcast. Mm-hmm. And when I started, uh, when I actually got word that I was going to be a guest, I, uh, I had, um, I had listened to tons of episodes um, and then I had kind of stopped listening to episodes. And so I was like, I need to get a refresher on how this goes. And so I started to listen to episodes again before I was going to get recorded. The very first episode I started to listen to again before I was going to be on the show was Diego's episode. And that's where I first got. Wow. That's where wow. I first got. Really? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> cool. Absolutely true. Well, that's amazing. Well, for anybody that wants to go and listen to that episode with Diego Corzo, it's episode 352. And uh, if you've got a story, just like, just like Kalisha's, or you're working through your own thing and you think you have something to share with the Bigger Pockets community, you can, you can go and fill out a form over on biggerpockets.com slash guest if you want to share your story with our team. And then, uh, you know, maybe you'll be selected to, to come and, and be an inspiration for everybody that listens to our, to our podcast. Uh, Henry, if people want to find you online, where, where can they go? Best place is Instagram. I'm at the Henry Washington on Instagram, or you can check out my website. It's www.cuattheclosingtable.com. Cool. You can always find me uh, over on Instagram or YouTube. I can't even plug my own stuff. Uh, you can find me on YouTube uh, or Instagram at Robilt, R-O-B-U-I-L-T. And um, well, I did spell that right, didn't I? Don't be you laughing at me. It. You nailed it. That okay, time. good. I nailed it. I, I can do this. Like when David's gone, there's a lot of pressure to perform. But uh, We're grateful to everyone at Bigger Pockets and uh, for all you guys listening. If you want to leave us a five-star review, Head on over to the Apple Podcast platform or, or wherever you listen to your podcast and tell us what you thought about today's episode. Uh, but other than that, thanks everybody for listening and we will catch you on the next episode of Bigger Pockets. <clears throat> welcome to the bigger, welcome to the bigger podcast. Oh, no, 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 wait. That, that's, that does not count. Don't take this away from me. <laughs> welcome to the big. <laughs>
The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.